Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Pause for obligatory water break. Remember, OG fans will <laughs> remember, maybe we'll do a blooper reel as we're um, actually getting close to the one-year anniversary, which is freaking crazy because we're in April. Um, OG fans will remember that I've only been actually using a water bottle for, like, six months or less, and I used to just have a cup of water, and that would lead to some... Uh, natural disasters of me knocking it over and spilling it many times. So even if I knock this over, it might slip out a little bit with the straw, but usually it's, it's good to go. Um, so how are you? <laughs> As if it's a two-sided conversation. Um, I know in last week's episode, I asked for some like assumptions about me and about reading <laughs> and to no one's surprise, I only got one, uh, assumption or question. Um, somebody asked why do you think you read so much like really you know for emphasis and i mean i think that's a very deep question um i've touched on it in some episodes um i think there's you know there's a multitude of reasons first of all it's just because i love it obviously you know it's something i enjoy i'm able to read quickly and sort of have that multitasking multi-mind attention span which works to my advantage and disadvantage in many situations but works in the sense that if i have a free five or ten minutes i'll take the opportunity to read pick up my kindle pick up my book bang it out a couple chapters or whatnot return to work or tv or whatever i'm doing back and forth um so i love it and i think that goes hand in hand with the sense that i just am able to love it because it comes easy to me it's also something that's been ingrained in me since childhood um and i've always loved and evolved with um i think another reason too is you know i've regardless of the pandemic um and someone was like hey you want to hang out on a saturday night i'd be like "Ooh, do i because like i have this really good book to read like it's just joy i think while of reading escapism also um with everything going on in the world everything going on in life it's just not always the best to be in your own mind and reading takes you out of your mind and takes you to a totally new world and experience and i've always loved that aspect about it um and just the different worlds and places and imaginations and characters and whatnot that you can explore through reading um but again circling back to that joy tinge with escapism it's like chicken or the egg you know is the escapism brought on by joy or does joy uh flourish because of escapism <laughs> who knows um but that's i guess as best of an answer as i can give without like you know a 50 45 minute like scripted psychological written diatribe for you but we don't have time and or energy for that right now um or really like ever um <laughs> which is why these were like you know 15 20 minute episode vignettes I was going to do it today also, but I think I'm going to push it to next week so it can be a little more fleshed out. Um, I'm going to do maybe just, I don't know if I want to put it as top five because I don't know what the exact number is, but I'm going to be talking about my favorite non-true crime podcasts. If you know me, if you're a listener of the show, you'll know that about like 90% of the podcasts that I listen to, besides I like to read, of course, even though I don't like to listen to my own voice after I'm done recording, um, are true crime and just like crime, journalism, sensationalized, insanity focused. Um, but I do listen to some comedy some more like philosophical whatever conversational podcasts um so there are a few of those that i listen to regularly and since this is not necessarily a true crime audience podcast although i certainly 
we had our interview with Jax Miller. Um, and I definitely could do that as another episode. It would just <laughs> require a lot more thought because, of course, um, like I said, 90% of them are true crime based. So the other 10% kind of are easy to pick out, but it's a lot harder when I have to pick out the true crime ones. But I definitely can. So we'll see how the, the non-true crime one goes. Sorry, I just like got this new sports bra and it's kind of like writing up a little bit, but it's also like not really meant to be a top. So I just pulled my shorts up a little bit. Sorry to the audio listeners, video listeners. You get this fun. Um, fashion of the day, fashion of Sunday. Um, so if, yeah, if that goes well, then we'll go to our, you know, my favorite true crime podcast and we'll see what goes from there. So, but, um, next week, probably I'm not going to promise, but I'm going to assume it's going to happen because I don't know why I wouldn't <laughs> stay tuned for my favorite non-true crime podcasts. And without further ado, I think that's everything. Let's get to this week's five books. So first up we have There's No Such Thing as an Easy Job by Kiko Tsumara. Um, so this is very reminiscent of another book that I mentioned early on in the podcast called Temporary, which was about a young woman who takes on a variety of like increasingly weird temporary jobs. I'm sorry, we're gonna pause for a sec. My blood sugar is like really low and I need a snack. Thrilling, right? There's no such thing as an easy job. So like I said, it's basically just a bunch of vignettes of a woman who does increasingly weird and like uncanny um temporary jobs although this one takes place in japan and is translated for english um my favorite um job that she gets and each of them are like you know it's different partly because the japanese culture is different so their jobs and the way that they approach them are a little bit different but the main character um her name we never even really get her name and she we just like know enough about her parceled out in bits and pieces but like we get to know her mostly like how she experiences and works through these increasingly odd jobs my favorite one which you know also if it stood out my brain a week later it clearly was good that's how we judge things um she becomes like a fact writer for these uh there's like a rice cracker company and each rice cracker sort of like snapple caps comes with like a little fact on it and each uh subsect of the crackers or like each type of cracker has like a different set of factoids so like you know world's tallest mountains and so she becomes the person who writes those facts and sources them and it becomes like a very what you think would be mundane like but also super interesting and like causes her to question so much about herself and that's like what's so fascinating about this book um and there's this is the title states there's no such thing as an easy job and some things that literally might just be so mundane like another job she has is to literally just like sit in a hut at a park and just like sit there and look out for people who potentially get lost in the sprawling park and like that sounds so easy and that sounds like what she wants forever but then she quickly like through that easiness and boredom like gets to know a lot about herself and there's a lot of just like commentary about the workplace and the workplace culture and capitalism and it's just like a really rich um yeah, it definitely is a novel, even though it reads also, again, like a collection of short stories because each little um, job or vignette is sort of standalone, but we get to know the main character as she grows. Like, I wouldn't read them out of order. It's, you know, definitely um, sequential in terms of how the character grows. Um, but if the typical sort of novel structure throws you off a little bit and you want more of a reading just a little bit each night, you could split, the, I think there's like five or six different sections maybe, um, so there, you could definitely like split those into sections even, um, and bang this one out pretty quickly. Very wry and irreverent, so check that one out if that's your vibe. Next we have What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. Um, so this is like part nonfiction, um, historical research-based analysis into sort of, you know, how we talk about fat and what, um, more than just the fat acceptance and tolerance movement, but also just sort of like a fat, a body, um, 
sorry, misspoke, or like more than just, you know, moving beyond sort of the body tolerance and the body positivity and to really just like talking about fat people and, you know, regard, you know, without it being sort of like a health-based thing or like obesity epidemic, just like recognizing that a lot of our country and a lot of people in this world are fat and overweight and that it doesn't have to be such a stigma and why we dehumanize these people. Um, so those are all some really interesting questions that the author Aubrey Gordon explores. Um, she really just like pushes more instead of towards like, you know, oh, okay, well, here's me, you know, and I was overweight and I learned to love myself. But she like recognizes unapologetically as she explores her childhood and her past that like she will never be a thin person. And that being fat is just like for her, like someone saying that, that they have brown hair or they have brown eyes. Like it's just part of who she is. And she's also a really healthy person too, by all um, accounts and intents and purposes. And the way that, you know, fat people are stigmatized in the media, the way that they're stigmatized in the health industry and that they don't get hair, um, healthcare properly, the way that just like they're, you know, dehumanized. And she explores that in the media. She explores that in everyday life by talking to real people and exploring real scenarios, both her own. And like I said, there's a little bit of like that sociological anthropological component to it too, as she studies um, these larger effects on, you know, she noticed it in herself and noticed it as a fat person so she talked to other fat people um and got to know like their side so it's a much more you know it's not just a one-sided one take memoir it's a very nuanced um exploratory look into what we don't talk about when we talk about fat and being overweight um so it's very eye-opening um it's very um i think hopefully pushing in a, t a really cool and positive direction in how we talk about we don't talk about when we talk about fat, but what we should talk about when we talk about fat and just bodies in general. And through that, you know, there's, you know, just body positivity, but also just like, you know, fat bodies are bodies and they shouldn't necessarily be treated any differently because they have more mass on them than somebody else. So read that. Um, it definitely, it was a, just a little bit over 200 pages. So she jams a lot into there. Definitely. While it's a shorter page wise book, um, it took a little bit longer to read and by a little bit longer, I mean, you know, just throughout the entirety of a day as opposed to just an afternoon. I think I read this on like a weekend day, maybe last Saturday or Sunday. Um, but definitely check that one out for just uh, what I hope is a first step or one of, you know, a new wave of um, talking about bodies and talking about things that we previously didn't really talk about or sort of skirted around. And next we have another um, translated book, um, by, but still fantastic that doesn't you know sometimes i feel like i have a stigma against a book that's like translated because i feel like their language and their nuances like won't translate literally to the to the other late to like what their native language is to english which is my native language but i feel like that's the job of a translator is to not only like take their words literally but also they have a little bit of writing in them because they're they have to manipulate the words to like the best translation for that other audience to recognize what the original author was saying long story short that's the way of saying that the next book is tender is the flesh by augustina basterica um this book like made me squirm in a very uncomfortable way and that doesn't usually happen um in case you couldn't tell by the title tender is the flesh this is another book about cannibalism um but unlike the book that i talked about in last week's episode a certain kind of hunger or a certain hunger um which was also about cannibalism and eating people but in a much more like beautiful like cannibal lector classical way this is a almost like fight club type society where human humans are literally cattle um there's been a virus that makes it so that you can't eat any of the animals so they have to rely on humans for me and then humans become bred into these like sort of domesticated animal type things it's like very bizarre and so you get that sort of like dystopian society component in it um our main character Marcos um, runs a factory plant um, that 
breeds these human meat creatures. Um, but that takes a toll on him. He began, as he gets to know some of these human meat things, he begins to question, you know, whether or not his role in this is, um, necessary or important and like the moral components of him. Um, he falls in love sort of accidentally with a woman who is basically just like a cattle. Um, and he brings her to his house and falls in love with her. And that becomes complex because it's like she's still like a lesser than. So there's a little bit of like that handmaid's tale when she doesn't have any real agency for herself. How can she, you know, we really only get his perspective, but the author takes a lot of care in letting us know that, you know, this is definitely wrong. This woman does not have very much agency, even though she's bred as an animal. Like, how do we deal with that? And so just the description of the eating of people and the way that humans are really treated literally as animals and as a vegetarian and someone who's already just like grossed out by cows and chickens and everything like being slaughtered and the idea of that it really like made me uncomfortable but i think that i kept power like at some at one point i almost was like gonna stop and that hardly ever happened so this is definitely not for the faint of heart and it's um i could say it's a horror novel but it's also dystopian and um futuristic in the sense that i hope this is never what our world comes to but it's what a, you know a different path and what could happen in the universe and like i said not for the faint of heart but if you're into horror or body horror or futuristic stuff and you have you are totally fine with graphic descriptions of humans being dismembered and turned into meat and the way that the human body is portrayed as like a flank and animal parts then go for it and if i got through it anybody can next we have the Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walden. Um, this one got me in the beginning because I knew going into it. So it's a fictional account of um, the singer Opal and Nev, um, who were famous in the 70s and the sort of like R&B rock and roll scene. Um, and it's completely fictional, but it's told as if it's an anecdotal nonfiction story. So um, the main character is her name is Sunny. And it turns out that she um her father actually had an affair with opal so that's how she is like personally connected to the story um we meet her in present day and she's recounting uh as the title states the final revival of opal and nev so she recounts opal and nev's stories um all of it's fictional and but <laughs> even in the beginning so it starts out with this like editorial note coming from the main character sunny but it almost reads as if it's like the author is automatically pulling you in and she says this is a completely fictional story but of course I'm sure there's some elements of her in there. So she creates these fantastical fictional characters, really like bonafide rock and roll stars, Opal, Jewel, and Nev. I forget his other last name. So we get to know them and their sort of rises to fame and how they come together and how they're coming together sort of creates all these spokes for these other different worlds and the ramifications that has in present day. Um, we don't just get to know them in their interviews. It also just like bounces back and forth too with Sunny as our main character um, dealing with her past and reckoning with like her family and figuring out Opal and her life as well and the way that they intertwine and then we get, you know, the fictional managers and all the people who would typically be involved in this rock and roll scene. Like it really, like it fooled me from the beginning if you didn't know it was fictional and they weave in, you know, realistic characters as well or like characters who are real and existent in real life. Like this is just really um, a fun but also like says a lot about 
women and race and at the time of the music scene and also today. Um, and it's just very well written. Um, it's a cool structure. Um, it's, you know, it keeps it from being too stale. It tells the story and even though it jumps back and forth with perspectives and linear and even with how it's, some of it are, you know, like interview perspective, uh, perspectives from magazines or whatnot, it still is a very cohesive story and that's not always the easiest to do. But kudos to Donnie Walton for pulling that together in such a beautiful lyrical, no pun intended, story. And last but certainly not least, we have Burning Girls and Other Stories by Veronica Shanos. Um, this was just a really, really wonderful collection of mystical, fairy tale inspired. Uh, I don't want to say modern day short stories because while it was just it's contemporary and they all came out today, some of them take place in the past, some of them take place today. Um, the author just plays with the idea of these sort of Brothers Grimm fairy tales and these ideas that we have about women in folklore and totally spins them on their head. Like there's one about a girl, sort of like a Sleeping Beauty, but uh, also like more empowered story where a woman, um, her father, she's um, they're also all tinged with like a Jewish lens but also the way that they explore Judaism and religion is not super concrete and they're all very different and just, I can't say enough good things about this <laughs> um, but you know from the more sort of like mystical actual fairy tale type short stories where there's a young woman whose father is murdered and she takes on revenge and the way that she takes on that revenge and tricks people there's also like uh, a Rumpelstiltskin take on Rumpelstiltskin um, that one was a Sleeping Beauty take um, there's a Baba Yaga take there it's just it's also like about America and the, the dark underbelly and it takes a more like mystical um, less literal approach to it but it it's just like I, I burned through it no pun intended um, and it's uh, you know it's part fantasy part contemporary fiction blended mystical realism blended together in the best way for fans of fairy tales fans of fantasy fans of short stories fa fans of cool women fans of just like good writing basically anybody check out this one um, so short but sweet as always Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, rest of your week, evening, morning, whenever you're listening to this. And until next time, stay reading. Bye.